Hey, welcome back to Crimes and Closets. This is Christy in my closet in St. Louis. And this is Beth in my closet in North Carolina. Welcome back for day number two. Yeah. Did anybody have a nightmares about Carrie Stainer last night? Mm. Pick me. (laughs) Well, I mean, yeah, I feel like maybe you're going to have even more nightmares after today because I guarantee it. The terrible stuff today. I mean, there was some stuff yesterday, but there's there's more terrible stuff today. So, um, and we need to tell you or remind you to come check out our live on Sunday, the twelfth, this yes. coming Sunday on Instagram. At, yes, on Instagram at nine p.m. Eastern time. Yes, eight p.m. Central, six p.m. Pacific. <laughs> nice. Figured out. Yes, <laughs> right. right. Uh, yeah, and we'll be discussing this. If you have questions, you can like join us on the live and ask your questions, and we'll answer. Or you can send us questions in advance if you'd like. There's going to be some uh, little tidbits that was not in the episode that you might find interesting. So come hang out. Come with hang us. out with us. Yes. Yeah. If you had nightmares, you can tell us about those. Right. Yeah. Maybe we'll see who you guys guess is the next serial killer. Oh, come hang out. Come hang out. It's going to be fun. Yes, it will be. That will be fun. But what you're about to hear will not be. So Mm. hold on to those pants. Roll tape. (laughs) You ready for part two? I don't know. I am very stressed. this This is where it gets real. This is the real, real. The real world. Okay. Trigger. Okay. So if you remember yesterday, we were talking about how he's living at the Cedar Lodge place that's in like right outside the entrance of Yosemite and he lives above a diner and he's a handyman. Yes. I was going to (laughs) say, if you haven't listened to part one, go back, but we already said it, so it's okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's all in part one. All the background and whatever leading up to this point is all in part one. So listen to part one. You'll want to know his background. Oh, you 100% need to know. So, okay. So the way Cedar Lodge is laid out is different than like most places. I mean, I don't know. When I think of like a lodge or a motel, it's like just like this long building with doors on the outside, you know. But anyway. Shit's Creek. Shit's Creek. Got it. Yes. That's exactly what I imagine. (laughs) Right. Okay. So apparently this has like 200 rooms and they're spread out between six different buildings over 27 acres. Okay. That's what this lodge is. Okay. Okay. That's so scary. It is scary. It's like camping. It's, it's, yes. And so, and especially in the slow months when they don't have a full-time housekeeper, because like they lay off the handymen, they probably also lay off their housekeepers because they're like, well, there's not enough people for us to keep you guys busy throughout the entire season in the winter. So when they don't have full-time staff working every day, they would just keep putting people in rooms that were clean so it would get further and further out from like the office you know because these rooms were all not cleaned yet because we don't have the staff so when the staff come back in we'll clean them and then we'll start putting people back in these closer rooms so they just keep pushing them back out further okay okay i'm holding on to my pants or i'm feeling anxious hold on to your pants i hope they don't do this this way anymore after this but yeah so okay so here we have carol sund and her daughter julia who was 15, and her friend's, Carol's friend's daughter from Argentina, Silvina, who was visiting, and she's 16, they arrive at Cedar Lodge on Sunday, February 14th, 1999. 
Okay. Carrie is here. Okay. Let me give you a little bit of background on, on them. Carol, Carrie, nope, Carol <laughs> grew up in a well-off family who made millions in real estate, apparently. She married her high school sweetheart, Jens, I think. It's spelled J-E-N-S. Okay. But I think it's pronounced Jens. Okay. Jens' son, who was the son of a Danish-slash-Salvadoran immigrant. Okay. That's where he's from. They had their daughter, Julia, in 1983, and they soon opened their home to many kids in the foster care system who needed stable, loving homes. Nice. And they, yes, they ended up adopting three mixed African-American children. Carol joined the NAACP to better understand racial issues. (gasps) Yeah, I mean, and this is in the 80s. Team like, Carol, love her. freaking Team Carol. Um, advocated for abused children in the court system, taught parenting classes, and worked with developmentally disabled adults in a group home. Wow. I mean... I feel really lazy. Yeah. Like I'm Come a on, sloth. People. She's like the perfect person, perfect mother, perfect... Love like, it. Love Carol. Perfect human being. When she was in high school, she had spent a summer abroad in Argentina and met Raquel Peloso, and they became really good friends and stayed close for 26 years. And at one point, Carol went to Argentina because she was trying to adopt a child um, from there, and Julia had come with her. So that's when Julia met Raquel's daughter, Silvina. Okay. And they became pretty instant friends. So Silvina decided to come spend a semester abroad in the U.S., and stay with the Sun family in 1999. The Suns were determined to just show her as much of the U.S. as they possibly could, especially, like, the national parks and all that kind of stuff. Um, I and love so on them. The I know, right? I mean, <laughs> seriously. Carol, call me. Call me. I want to be friends. Mm. Oh, no. So on the list was Yosemite National Park. Um, Carol and Jens had actually honeymooned there, and they loved it. So their trip was planned over the long President's Weekend in February, which happened to also fall over Valentine's Day. Carol would fly out to San Francisco from Eureka, California. This is where they are, and it's kind of um, way on the north coast of California. So they would fly from San Fran, or from Eureka to San Fran, where um, the two girls... Well, with she would fly with the two girls on Friday, February 12th, and they would rent a car and drive to Stockton, which is about an hour and a half away. And Julia, at that time, had a cheer competition that Saturday there. Okay. So it was kind of like, all right, let's do this, and then we'll continue on. So then they would drive to Yosemite after that on Sunday, which is about two and a half hours away from where they were. And they would spend Monday, that President's Day, touring the park. So then they would go home... Well, they would start their trek home, but Sylvina would fly to Arizona with Jens and the other kids to visit the Grand Canyon. So basically, like, she was going to go back to San, drive back to San Francisco, Carol. Carol and Julia would fly back home mm-hmm. where Jens and the other kids would meet, take Sylvina to Arizona to then go to the Grand Canyon because she, they're determined to just show her okay. all of this greatness. This trip started out just as planned, and apparently Carol was a meticulous planner when it comes to everything so she called Jens on Monday evening after they had spent the day at the park um, and said that they had so much fun that the girls wanted to go back on Tuesday morning and spend a little bit much 
more time in Yosemite and check things out before they left. And then on the way back to the airport to San Francisco, they would stop in Stockton again because while um, Julia was there, she saw the University of Pacific and was like, huh, kind of interested in going there. So oh, okay. and another mom that they had met said, well, I can bring you on a tour. So meet me here on Tuesday. We'll bring you on a quick tour and then you can be on your way to San Francisco to the airport. So that was their plan for Tuesday. So they rented a movie that night on Monday night. Jerry Maguire, actually. Oh, you had me at hello. Yeah. Yes, I did. So did Carol. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no kidding. She would definitely have had me at hello. Um, they had some dinner around 7 p.m. at that diner that's on the grounds, and then they went back to their room to watch the movie. The next day was when they were going to do a little bit more at Yosemite, go to the uni- University of Pacific, and then meet Yens at the um, airport. But they never showed up for the tour, and they never showed up at the airport. However, Yen's flight was delayed slightly, the flight to San Francisco. And so he got there late, and he actually assumed, because Carol was so like, this is my plan, this mm-hmm. is I'm sticking to it, that she sent Sylvina on her plane to oh, Arizona, okay. and that he would then like catch the next plane and meet Sylvina at the airport. Okay. So that's what his assumption was when he didn't see anybody at the airport. But he gets to Arizona, and Sylvina's not there. So he called home. He got no answer. He called the Cedar Lodge and was told that the three girls had left. They had not checked out in the office, but their luggage was gone and the keys were left in the room. So they just assumed they had left. On Wednesday, February 17th, he reported them missing. Most people at that time were thinking that their car had slid off the road into a ravine, and that's what they were searching. Like, it was just like, oh, right. accident. accident. We don't know of course. Yeah. No idea. We'll just search up and down these roads. But when they searched the room, they found that the three had left a bag with souvenirs in it. An apple, a bottle of tomato juice, and there was a pink blanket and a pillowcase missing from the room. So it was oh. kind of a little strange what they were finding considering carol was so but jens was especially concerned about this because he's like carol's not gonna leave a bag of souvenirs like right she sticks to her schedule she's gonna take she, her tomato yeah. juice for her bloody mary well, she's, gonna take, she's gonna take her apple yeah <laughs> take, like she's gonna take this stuff so at this point clearly they're looking at jens because it took him a couple days to report them missing and they thought that was strange but he's like no really if you know carol like she's gonna stick to the plan so it wouldn't have been weird for me to think that she would have just sent sylvina and we don't have cell phones so right. it's not like and we're- they were traveling so like right there was no place specifically that she was supposed to be she was on the road yes the, they were supposed to meet at the san francisco airport where she well, was going to go home and then he was going to take care of right. but in his head he was thinking that wouldn't be unusual for her to send her she's 16 like Mm -hmm, she can get on mm -hmm. the plane whatever but everyone's in the middle of traveling so how are you going to get in touch with anybody right so anyway he was and apparently he had a very calm demeanor and so they were just like what's up but again we've said this like you don't know how you're going to act if you're in this situation and how your emotions will be and so you can't judge and say he's guilty because he was way too calm that his wife and daughter were missing so anyway but he was cleared yeah no he's not guilty not guilty. We, we know he's not guilty. Mm-hmm. So they speak to all of the employees at the lodge, including a handyman, another handyman, who had changed the locks to Carol and the girl's room that day. Because apparently she is 
freaking smart, this lady. Carol had asked for them to have separate keys. Like, she did not want a master key to their room. She wanted, they were the only ones that would have a key to their room. Her and the girls. That's it. Nobody else could get into the room. Okay. And so, he had changed the lock so that the only keys that were there were the ones that they had. How smart is that? Wow. Okay. I mean, I didn't know that they would do that. That freaks me out about hotels and stuff. Yeah. Those master keys and security guard keys and maintenance man keys and all that kind of stuff. That totally freaks me out. Well, I mean, honestly, anybody, they they could just make a card for anyone because it's like a computer system and they just like put it in this thing and they just be like, oh, make a key for whatever room. Anyway. It's amazing. There's not more serial killers that strike in hotels. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I mean, maybe there are. We just haven't learned about them. But Carol, smart freaking lady. Mm -hmm. Genius, actually. Be like Carol. Huh? Be like Carol. Be like Carol. That should be a hashtag. Be like Carol. It is now. (laughs) It is now. Okay, so this particular handyman that changed out the locks that day had a brother who was a registered sex offender. So they, like, kind of honed in on him, like, oh, well, maybe he did give him a key or something, whatever. But he ends up passing a lie detector test, and they clear him. They also questioned a janitor who had a history of violence towards women. And this person's girlfriend, her husband, died under suspicious circumstances. Oh. So they were looking into him because... The husband had been stabbed in the back and drowned in a river or a lake or something, but his death was ruled a homicide, uh, a suicide. How do you get stabbed in the back or stab yourself in the back? I tell you what. Anyway. I realize investigations are hard, but come on. He was stabbed in the back. Like, I don't. And drowned. You don't drown yourself in a river. Okay. I don't know. And stab yourself. So because in the back. this was suspicious, they're like, "Well, let me look and let's look into this guy because mm-hmm. clearly he's, something's wrong with him." He fails his polygraph, so they're like, hmm, "I mean, he could be it, right?" Oh, keep keep him in our heads. Two days later, on February nineteenth, Carol's wallet with her license and some credit cards were found on a median of an intersection in Modesto, California, which is two hours from Yosemite. Okay. The FBI was involved at this point. I think I remember, I'm not sure, that Sylvina's parents were, like, um, what do you call them now? I can't remember. Like, not dignitaries, but, like... um, Diplomats? I don't know. Diplomats. There you go. Okay. And that's why the FBI got involved really quickly, I Uh, feel like. But I couldn't, when I was going back to, like, check that, I couldn't find it. But I remember reading it somewhere. But I could be making that up. So let's just take that with a grain of salt. But anyway, the FBI is involved at this point. And so they move their headquarters for this crime to Modesto because they're like, well, her wallet's found up there. Now we need to, like, maybe that's, they were taking it But it was a median of a highway? It's like Chuck. Uh, Of a road. Not necessarily a highway. Okay. It's just an intersection. Okay. So not a highway. Okay, so they also find out that there had been two calls made to the bank referencing Carol's accounts. One on February 19th, where a woman was saying that they were Carol and asked for a duplicate ATM card to be mailed out, back out. But the woman was not able to provide identifying information to prove that she was Carol, so the bank ended the phone call. Okay. Then another call was like three days later on the 22nd, and this person was able to give Carol's social security number and get balance information on the account. Okay. But from what I understand, like the way the bank calls work is like it's not 
like, oh, this call came into this person. They just have like a list of call logs of calls and they can't pinpoint exactly who spoke to who. Hmm. I don't know why. Maybe they can now, but it didn't seem that way at that point because they were able to narrow it down. But it was like 10,000 possible numbers that it could be at the time. And they end up narrowing it down. But it, that doesn't really go anywhere. So it doesn't matter. I think it's not like that now. <laughs> Look, we yeah. are experts in contact tracing now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> okay. So Carol's family at this point is offering, because you remember they're wealthy, $250,000 reward for information leading to finding the women the, and the, the daughter and the friend. Um, and $50,000 if you can find the car. Because they couldn't find the car anywhere. This is a rental oh, car. Oh, right. Okay. They can find it. So, like, if you find the car, then I'll give you $50,000. If you find, give us some information that'll lead to something, even more. Interesting. Um, so, on March 18th, so this is basically Long a month time. later. yeah. 1999, the rental car is found on a logging road near Stanislaus. Stanislaus National Park. Did not write down how to say that. So sorry if I'm, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> okay. And that's about two hours away. Still California? Said. Still California. Okay. Just another national park, two hours up the road a piece. Um, they find, it's burned up, the car. Oh. And they find two bodies in the trunk that are also burned. But they could tell that one was a woman and one was a younger girl. So they are assuming one's Carol and one is one, one of the, the girls. girls. They don't know which one and they need testing to be done um they also find a shoe rope carol's purse and a camera so it turns out that they were burned up but some of their organs were intact somehow Mm -hmm. so they were able to identify the two as carol and sylvina okay so where's julia Mm -hmm. that is the question they had no smoke in their lungs so they were killed determined that they were killed before this was set on fire. Sad. They were also able to develop the pictures from the camera and see the last moments of their lives. Well, not moments, but the last night of their life. And which I, the pictures are in this book that I'm oh. down, like, that I told you about. Like I there's them, pictures yes. of the girls. There's pictures of the scene, but there's pictures of the girls in Yosemite. The oh my car, gosh. In the hotel room doing like handstands and like having back bends in the hotel room. Like, it, it's sad to see these pictures, honestly, but they were able to develop them and, and see that. So that night, everything was okay, but then there's nothing after that night. So they're assuming here they that it are was, burned up in a car and one's missing. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So on March 25th, the FBI receives a letter that says, quote, We had fun with this one. And it's a hand drawn map, which is also in this book, of Don Pedro Lake. And an X marks the spot of where to find Julia. Whoa. How did they know that it was Julia? Um, you know, I don't know. I think I'm now I'm going back to the book as we're sitting here to see if it says something. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they knew it was Julia. I, I don't know if it was labeled. It just, yeah, it doesn't say anything on this map it has we had fun with this it has the road that intersects the lake and then an x marks the spot at a certain point and it doesn't say her name at all but for some reason they knew that this was where they should find julia so hmm. they they follow this map and find the naked body of julia oh. exactly where the map said 
and she had remnants of duct tape on her ankles, and her neck had been so brutally slashed that her head was nearly decapitated. Oh, my God. And she was found 50 miles from Yosemite. So things are, like, all over the freaking place. You know what, though? As awful as it is, I'm glad they found her. Mm -hmm. I mean... Yeah, no, just to, to, to have that closure and to know, like, what yeah. happened and not that she's just been missing for however many years and we have no yeah. idea what happened to her. So the police get a little bit of a break here with a call, like a retired police officer got a call from an old informant of theirs, and they said that they thought these two, um, I think they're stepbrothers or half-brothers or something, might have something to do with it. Um, two men, Eugene Dykes and Michael Larwick, they had huge rap sheets, including arrests for kidnapping, rape, false imprisonment, forgery, and drug and weapons charges. Both were out of prison at the time of this happening. Why? And well, I don't know. They should not be out and, of prison. No, they shouldn't have been. And both had been recently rearrested. Dykes in early March for a parole violation. And he held off police and parole officers for over two hours at gunpoint before surrendering. And Larwick was pulled over for an expired registration in the middle of March. And he shot the officer who was trying to pull him over and then fled the scene and broke into a house and had a 14-hour standoff before he was taken into custody. So they're like, these guys are looking pretty dang good for this. Like, Mm -hmm, they're mm -hmm. in the area. They're near Modesto, which is where we found the wallet. Blah, 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 blah. And they had ties to several local petty criminals and meth users. And these people all made their livings with mail theft, check forgery, and other, like, identity crimes. So they're thinking, well, maybe one of these people that they're connected to are the people that called mm-hmm. for information with mm-hmm. Carol's bank. So they just, all of a sudden, their focus is totally on them. These guys are, look really good for it. They're nasty human beings. They have a entourage of nasty human beings as their friends. And at some point, they end up confessing and taking credit for killing the women. What? I don't know what... Yeah, they did. I, I, I don't know if they were just like, yeah, sure, why not? I want to be like identified as the person who killed these people because I'm such an awful human being that that's cool to be known to kill, rape and kill people. I don't know. And they also end up arresting a couple of women in their circle who get caught with Carol's credit card numbers in their possessions. Whoa, whoa, so whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So clearly they're like, well, these people did That's it. a real link right there. Yeah, that's a real link. But I'm thinking, well, and you'll know why later, that they found that wallet on the floor, wrote down her credit card numbers, and then just left it there. Because that's the way they make their living, these people, is... By, you know, stealing people's mail and getting numbers and calling and then getting a new card or account balance or whatever. They're, they're identity thieves. Oh my gosh, they but stumbled. They have, I mean, that's really unlucky. For Not that they're, like, got horseshoes in their butthole, but, like, <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> butthole? It's really unlucky that <laughs> right. they would pick no, up the- a murdered person's wallet who was, like, missing. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. So, and of, of course, that's what the FBI is thinking. Like, what are the freaking chances? Yeah. Like, what they are the must odds have of something that? to do with this? So, no, nothing against the FBI. They weren't going in like random leads. They were following what the evidence was showing them. 
So the FBI who wrote this book, his name is um, Jeffrey Rinnick, um, he thought that these two were worth looking into, but he always in the back of his head was like, I don't know. I don't really think there's that these guys are responsible. Somebody else did this. Mm-hmm. So, but with these guys in custody, he also, let me note, this is just a random note. He was at some point taken off of this case. He was the lead and then they took him off because I think he wasn't on the Dykes and Larwick path. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, then you don't know what the heck's going on. So sorry, done. And mm-hmm. there might have been other reasons, but he was taken off at this point. So, but he's still working it. Got too involved, be. you know. Yes, like, possibly. That's what I picture in my head. He's like yeah. sitting at his desk in the middle of the night chugging coffee. Yeah. Like yeah. obsessed. But there's a freaking reason why you should listen to this guy. Right. And right. Stuff that he wrote. Those are the people anyway. that crack cases. Have you seen movies? They're in, the, yeah. they're everywhere. Yeah. It's always so, the obsessed ones. Yeah, exactly. So you've got all these guys in custody, and it's being reported on the news that they believe they have the killers. So people start to feel at ease, and they're like, okay, like, they've got them. We don't have to be scared to be in Yosemite. We don't have to be scared that these guys are on the loose. Because this was not something that happened at the park or, you know, often. So this is where we get, because we've got three victims, a fourth victim. Oh, no. Joy Ruth Armstrong. And she spells her name so pretty, J-O-I-E. Oh, and apparently it's pretty. like the French spelling of Joy, or I, but I don't know. She is a 26-year-old woman who had majored in parks and resource management and worked at the Audubon Center in San Francisco and then at the Marin Headlands Institute, which was an outdoor education camp for kids. And then she landed her dream job with the nonprofit Yosemite Institute, and her job would be to teach children about nature and wildlife at Yosemite National Park. Oh, what a joy, that joy. And I believe, yes, she was a joy. And again, she was someone that was 100% described as someone who lit up the room when they walked in, and you couldn't help but love her when you met her, and all that kind of fun stuff. I think she was from Orlando, Florida. Oh. Yeah. So when she got this job, she ends up living at a cabin inside Yosemite, which apparently is owned by the park. There's several of them, and most of them are, like, park employees that live there that, you know, need to be close by for, you know, park rangers or whatever. But this particular one, they, the park leases to that Yosemite Institute for a dollar a year. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Steep. Pretty affordable. <laughs> yeah. She lived with her boyfriend and another roommate, and then there was this weekend in July when her boyfriend would go on a three-day hike with friends, and her roommate was away on business, and she hadn't spent, you know, time in the cabin by herself, and so she was kind of like, well, I don't really want to do that, so she made plans to go and stay with some friends for a couple of days and also to go visit family during the time that Smart was going to be out of town. Same, yeah. Joy. Same. Right. Yeah, exactly. I would. So she was packing up her car to leave on July 22nd. On July 23rd, when she hadn't showed up to her friend's place, they grew a little concerned and called in a welfare check to go to the cabin. A ranger was sent out to the cabin, and when they arrived, Joy's truck was out front, all packed up, and the front door was open. Hmm. The ranger could hear music coming from inside the house. And on the porch, there were broken sunglasses and a tipped-over watering can. And inside, the furniture was kind of a little bit askew or whatever, and the bed was a mess. And so immediately, he calls for backup. He's like, Something, something's going on here. Yeah, Gotta. why is the door open? That's weird. Right. Yeah, yeah. The door to the car. Exactly. 
So police come. They find mismatched tire tracks and some footprints at the scene. And so they immediately just go searching, you know, the immediate area, just start walking the grounds because you're in the national park there, you know, so let's just start looking. And about 100 yards from the cabin, there's a creek. It's actually a creek that she would go and fill up her watering can to water her plants because she didn't want to, like, use the water from the sink or a hose or whatever. She was very environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they walk to this creek, and they've come across a body. <gasps> the body was clothed with jeans that were undone and a white T-shirt, but her bra had been pushed up above one breast, so she was assaulted. And they could not tell if it was Joy because this person had been decapitated. Oh, no. Oh. Um, after a little bit longer searching and bringing scent dogs in and whatnot, they end up finding a head which had sunk t- to the bottom of that creek um, not far from the body. And it was, in fact, Joy. So they noticed the brush nearby was trampled, which indicated to them that there was some sort of chase that had ensued. Oh, so she uh, thought... They- Mm-hmm. And actually, I probably would have mentioned this later, and so maybe I'll have to skip over it, but they actually credit her with the thought, with fighting, because if she had not fought and run, they wouldn't have had so much evidence, because he was meticulous the first time around, mm-hmm. and this time he couldn't be, because she was fighting him. Mm. And so she may have saved other ch- people from this kind of fate, because she was such a fighter. They received reports of people seeing a blue international scout in the area of the day of the murder. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a scout, but it's like kind of like a Jeep-like truck. Very um, distinctive. I'll post pictures if you look it up. It's a distinctive-looking car. Okay. Um, and there were several cabins in that park, like I said, where other park employees had lived. And so they, several people had seen this car in the area that day. So they started to look into it, and they realized that Carrie Stainer, one of the Cedar Lodge employees who they had cleared pretty quickly back in the day from the Carol and Julia and Sylvina case owned a blue international scout. Hmm. So they're like, oh, well, now we want to talk to this guy. So they question him about being in the area and he denies being there. And they ask if they can take his backpack because he always has a backpack with him. Always. And he's like, nope. And he's adamant that they can't have it, and I, you don't, I don't want you to take this, blah, 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 blah. And so they're kind of like, oh we definitely God. need that backpack. We need that backpack, number one, because also at the time, they hadn't found her head yet. And so they're thinking, oh, my gosh, this person's head is probably in this backpack. That's oh what the gosh. police are Clearly, we know that it wasn't right. it was found. But So they send him on his way, but they go back to his house the next day and ask him again if he was near the scene. And again, he denies being there, but the problem is that he... he and his car were spotted by two separate people mm-hmm. in that area. So, again, they want to take his backpack, and he's not happy about it, but he hands it over. Well, but he'd cleaned it out by that point. Well, you would think, but I actually don't think he did. But okay. you would think he would have. Um, the police don't open it at first, though, because they're like, you know what? If this guy is linked to any of this, we want to make sure that we've gotten everything under like legal terms. So we they wait for a search warrant before they actually open it. So they've got this backpack in possession and they're just holding it, waiting to, to open it up because they also don't want to look inside it. They're afraid. They're afraid. Oh, God. Yeah, they're afraid. So once they finally do, they find a copy of a book about a serial killer inside called Black Lightning, which actually I kind of like want to read now just because maybe, but... Not, Wait, it's a true story? 
I don't know. I don't know. I didn't look into it, but this, I think it might be Black Lightning. Ooh. You look into it while I, are you looking it up? I'm looking it up. <laughs> it's, it's fiction. It's fiction. Okay. So whatever, but might be fun to read. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so they find this book, they find a camera, sunflower seeds and a bottle of water. Pretty like, you know, whatever, besides a serial killer book, but that could have been in our backpack. <laughs> on this could have been our backpack. <laughs> right, for sure. So they take pictures and measurements of those tire tracks while they were out at the... Remember, they said that they found tire tracks mm-hmm. at the scene. That didn't match, right? Right. And so they also take pictures of... And they take note of his car, like his tires on his car. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when they go back, they compare them to the pictures that they have and realize it's an exact match to the tracks outside of Joy's house. Okay. So at this point, they're like, okay, we're going to send some officers to arrest him. And so they go out to the Cedar Lodge, but he is not shown up that day. And he, they search the apartment. Nobody's seen him. He ran. And so in they don't say what, but they say... It's stated that they find evidence inside his apartment to link him at that point to the son murders. Okay. But I don't know what they found. So the FBI gets a tip after reports, because now it's on the news. Like, look out for this guy. Like, he's in one connection to this. Blah, 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 blah. And so they get a tip after it's on the news. Someone from Laguna del Sol, which is a nudist resort about two and a half hours away had had a conversation with Carrie at the bar. Okay. Just a normal conversation, so older woman. at a nudist resort? He's at a nudist resort, which, I mean, clearly, he likes to be nude. We do know this. Interesting facts later in a minute. But So the resort actually puts surveillance on him. They send staff, so he had pitched a tent there. And so they send staff out to cut the or trim the bushes near his tent but they're just like spending the day there and making sure he doesn't leave so mm. that until the fbi nice right mhm i'm liking all the people in this story so at this point the fbi is two and a half hours away some reason jeff rennick they call jeff rennick this guy the author who is closer to where he is so they're like hey can you go out Pick this guy up. We need to bring him in for questioning. You're closer. We need you to go out there. So he's like, He just oh, needs sure. to be apprehended for sure at this right. point. Yeah. yeah. So he exactly. doesn't run anymore. But at this point, I feel like Jeff was only told that he was a person of interest. Didn't like, wasn't like, we're arresting him, whatever. We need you to bring this guy in. And I think I, I mentioned to you earlier that they bring in like parts of his personal life in this book. And this is like the one where he was supposed to go on a trip with his wife and ends up like having oh, to go and deal with oh, this. And because right. so, it talks about how it's affected his life in general. Good book. Good book, guys. <laughs> so he's like, OK, I'll go. So he arrives at the resort and the staff tell him exactly where he is. He's having breakfast in the dining room and you're, he's going to be easy to spot because he's literally the only person with clothes on. I was just going to say, is he naked? No, <laughs> only so person with clothes on. weird to wonder that. I know. Weird. <laughs> so as soon as he walks in and starts talking, Carrie just stands up and puts his hands on his head and is like, all right, let's go. Oh. And he just leaves with Rennick. And Rennick's nice. like, I'm springing in for questioning, like, whatever. So apparently it's supposed to be about a 30-minute drive to where that he was bringing him to be questioned. But it turns out to be close to a two-hour drive because there's road construction and lots of traffic. And so Rennick's got time 
to talk to this guy. And he apparently he's known for forming relationships with suspects and helping like break take their guard down and whatnot. And so this long drive has proved to be a good thing for this kind of thing. And after the break, oh. we will hear all about their road trip discussion and what happens once they start questioning Carrie. Boom. Here we go. Jeff recognizes Carrie's last name. And so during their car ride, he's like, hey, are you any relation to Stephen Stainer, that boy who was kidnapped Mm -hmm. like 20 some years ago, however long it was at that point. And so they somewhat bond over this discussion about Stephen and him asking, he asks him like, hey, you know, since you were like on the other side of things, like how did you feel the police handled it? Was there something we could have done better? Blah, blah, blah. Like he's just, you know, talking to him about this. Nice. And, you know, clearly Carrie's like, well, yes, like they could have done this. And what about the sentencing? Do you think that was fair? You know, just kind of got things off his chest. They also discuss a movie that Renick thought Carrie resembled an actor in. And Carrie said he never saw it, but then later on, like, says, like, the most famous line of the movie. And so that was kind of, like, a little strange to hmm. me. But but anyway, nothing important, just a little tidbit. You know, so it was just, like, small talk that drew Carrie in. Like, we're friends, kind of. You know, buddies. Small talk. Let's talk about your kidnapped brother. Yeah, it's I guess it small wasn't talk. small talk. Yeah. But, you know, just, like, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. It's not, not small talk. Sorry. Big talk that drew Carrie in. <laughs> Got it. Deep, deep, deep talk. Okay. Um, so it was just natural for Rennick to do these kinds of things. So once they get to the station, they had a polygraph ready for him, but Carrie was like, yeah, I'm not really ready into that. I'm not into that right now, so let's not do that. So instead, they order a pizza and just sit and chat. <laughs> As one does. Yeah. Well, again, because Rennick's not, like, aware that this is, like, when, like this is somebody that they're coming to talk to. I think he's getting clued in as they're now at this police station, but whatever. So another officer enters to start questioning Carrie after this pizza. And Carrie is at that point. He's like, yeah, so I want to talk to Jeff. Bring Jeff back in because I'm only going to talk to him. Nice. So Jeff comes back in and Carrie, his statement is, I feel like I'm a bad person. I feel like I've done bad things. So Rennick's like, oh, man, here we go. Okay. I this feel like starts. I've done bad things. I feel like it. Not I know. Just a feeling. Just a hunch. So he said he wanted to talk about what he had done, but first he needed to get ask for a few things in exchange for this. And you know, because you texted me when I was talking about this one. Oh, he yes. Mm-hmm. He wanted to be, it was a few things. He, mm. First, he wanted to be housed in a federal penitentiary. Which I don't know what difference that makes, honestly. If somebody knows why that would be an ask, or do you know why that would be an ask? Mm-mm. I don't. Is I mean, state? as opposed to I a know. state penitentiary. Yeah, but, I don't okay. think so. I don't know. So he wants to be housed in a federal penitentiary. More, more security, probably federally. Maybe. I would imagine. Oh, maybe. He wanted his parents to get the reward money that was being offered by Carol's oh. family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he also asked for a huge. He's. First, he said a stack, but then he was like, you know, not like this big, like this big. And I'm using hand motions for this big. <laughs> um, of child porn. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Sticks Especially crime me, scene ones. That one. Like, yeah. Mm. Yes. And doesn't he say, like, I know you guys have some in your stash back there that's mm-hmm. evidence. So just yeah. go ahead and pull that out for me. Right. Right. Which will never happen. But. Never. Yeah. 
Um, so at several points during the interrogation, he would refer back to these requests and would say, like, you know, like, I'm not going to talk anymore until... And so I, I don't want to, like, interrupt every time, but, like, basically he does this several points, but he does keep talking because they never give them him any of this because they're like, well, number one, a victim's family is not going to give the killer's family the money. We're not, we're not even going to ask them to do that, so no. sorry. And we're not going to give you porn. We're not giving you evidence. And it's not their it's not their decision, the federal penitentiary stuff. So they can't give him any of it, but they're just, like, pushing him off, like, we're seeing what we can do about all of that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like, Rennick eat leaves... Pizza. The, yeah, eat your pizza. And Rennick leaves the room and, like, wants to vomit because this guy's oh, for child. Gosh, that is so nasty. That is just absolutely... Mm-hmm. Okay, so he tells Rennick that a year ago he had thought about killing two Finnish girls that had been staying Finnish, as in... Yes, Finland, got it. (laughs) Just making sure that I came across. Yes. (laughs) Um, That had been staying at the lodge because he had the master key to the rooms. Master key crap. Mm -hmm. Except when he got to the room, it didn't work. And so he lost the nerve because he wasn't going to like try and like fidget with it or whatever. And a few weeks before that, he had seen some women swimming in a creek, and he was going to attack them, but then a male companion showed up, and he was scared away. Because he didn't, wasn't going to fight a man. He figured he could overtake a woman. Mm-hmm. So then he said on Valentine's Day, so remember, that's the day that the girls, Carol and the girls, had checked in to Cedar Creek, or Cedar Lodge. Um, he had planned to go over to his girlfriend's house girlfriend with the two girls yes and murder the girlfriend and then <gasps> sexually abuse her two girls oh my that gosh. was his fantasy he actually had admitted that he had been fantasizing about doing that for a long time and he you know how he has erectile dysfunction and apparently he never really was able to like truly truly do stuff with the girlfriend later on in in interviews with her mm-hmm. but um he had been fantasizing about the girls while they were being intimate like that's oh yeah and he told them that he told the police that. oh yeah so the day he went there though a groundskeeper showed up because again they're on this like they all kind of live near this cedar creek lodge or i keep calling it cedar creek lodge (laughs) cedar lodge and so a groundskeeper showed up at some point, and again, he lost his nerve because he's like, oh, gosh, someone's here, and they're going to see me. So he ends up leaving them alone. But he's go, he goes back to his place, and he's all wound up about this. And so he's like, I'm going to go sit in the hot tub to calm myself down. But it was nasty and dirty, so he ends up not being able to go in the hot tub. And he sees Carol, Julia, and Sylvina in their window in their room, 509, I think it was, which was way far away from the office. So they're in that, oh, they haven't cleaned these other rooms. And they were sent all the way. And they were the only ones. They didn't know it, but they were the only ones in the building that they were staying in. The only Mm. guests. So they're completely alone. So he watches them for a little bit and then realizes, okay, no one's with them. There's no male companion. They're by themselves. So he comes up with this idea. Oh, my gosh. I want to – I'm nauseous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, ugh. Well, just wait. You're going to – You're. it's going gonna, it's gonna to get worse. He not – remember, serial killer September. This is why we only do this once a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He knocked on several of the open doors in the same building and would open that door because he had keys – and wait a few minutes and then close it, kind of like pretending he was knocking on other guests' doors because he's okay. the handyman. 
And he finally knocks on theirs and says, hey, there was a leak in the room above the, above you, and I need to go check your bathroom and make sure that everything's okay and it's not like coming through. Carol, who's, again, the smart lady that she is, she's like, oh, she barely opens the door. She's like, it's all right, I'll go in the bathroom, I'll check it out and come back out. So she does that, and she's like, everything's okay. Like, you know, so I don't see any, anything Thanks for happening. stopping back. Right, thanks for coming. Good night. Let me get back to Jerry Maguire. So, but he insists. He's like, well, they're going to make me come in. Like, I have to come in. I'm going to have to go all the way back to the office just to bring somebody down here that's going to say, you need to let me in because I have to check it myself. Right? Do that. So at this point, Carol's like, all right, fine. Like, fine. Go. Go check the bathroom and leave. So he goes into the bathroom waits a few minutes and comes out with a gun and tells (gasps) them that he's only intending to rob them so if you do what I say you'll be fine except I don't know how soon but I'm assuming almost immediately he takes Carol into the bathroom and strangles her (sighs) puts her in carries her out and puts her in the trunk of the car he then cut oh my gosh and the girls are just there I think yeah (sighs) yes well yes not I think I know yes the, the girls are there because Sylvania is hysterical. Like, Hmm. Julia somehow is maintaining her composure, but Sylvina is, like, hysterical. He cuts the clothes off of them and tries to get them to perform, like, sexual acts on each other, but, of course, they can't. They're too upset. Sylvina's crying her eyes out. And he's so annoyed by how hysterical Sylvina is that he brings her into the bathroom and strangles (sighs) her at that point. You know... Yeah. And then puts her in the trunk of the car with Carol. I'm sorry, I need to take a sip of this wine. <laughs> everyone, everyone take a sip. Everyone. Everyone take a sip right now. <laughs> so, so that's why Carol and Sylvina were together. Because, And then now at this point, Julia's like, my only way to survive is to like just freaking do what I can. It's like, interesting, too, that he wanted to kill them in private. Yeah. Like he took them in the bathroom, mm-hmm. separated them from the people... Very true. Who were alive and wanted to do it in private. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Freaking disgusting. It is. It is. No matter how he did it, it's gross. Yes. So he then rapes Julia in mm. the room and also in the room next door to them. I don't know why. And repeatedly sexually assaulted her oh, for hours, oh. basically. At around 4 a.m., he decides to wrap her in this pink sheet that oh. had been missing. Yes. Puts her in the car. Alive. Cleans everything up, essentially. Yes, alive. Okay. But she's in the car with her mom and friend in the trunk. Ugh. And he just drives and drives and drives. He has no idea where he's going, but and at some point he realizes like he needs to do something with Julia. So he's like, all right. So he stops, which is at this near this Don Pedro lake that they find her at. Um, and he brings, he carries her down to the lake, and he tells her that he loves her and wished that he could keep her. Rapes her one more time, mm. and then slits her throat. And clearly so violently that her, like, she's almost decapitated, but it's still there. And then hides her slightly in, a, in the brush right there. He then drives the car to the forest and sets fire to it. So he drives hours Mm-hmm. Hours. I can't remember now. Going back, you said fifty miles. I think before well, she—that's where she was found. I, okay, the car was found like two hours away. Okay, in another okay. in a logging road, and then he. Oh yes, it was. It was like an hour and a half to two hours because he took a cab after he sets fire to it back to Yosemite, and the cab driver was actually like, 
interviewed at one point and remembers like having conversations with him on the way back. Anyway. And at some point he drives to Modesto to get rid of the wallet because he's trying to throw the police off of his trail. Like, mm-hmm. so he literally like did all these things Which on purpose. almost worked because yeah, they were well, after those people in Modesto. For sure. Yeah. Had he had, again, this is why they credit Joy because had Joy not thought, he would have done something similar with Joy and they wouldn't have known. Yeah. Except they would have known it wasn't those two guys because they're in custody and clearly this is happening right. <laughs> while they're in custody. So anyway, so you remember that letter that was sent to the police yes. where to find Julia? Well, he had paid someone $5 for their spit to put on the envelope. Stop this it. This is how like, much he thought about this. Because when they tested it, they had found that it was like Hispanic origin, the, the DNA on it. Do people still spit on envelopes? Well, like when they lick it. Who does that? Who I mean, I do. Those? You do? I, I do. I don't send stuff very often. So when I do, I just like lick the envelope. Dude. It's Not pandemic. my Christmas cards because there's 178 million of them. buy the so. strips? The sh- envelopes with the strips? Well, but Christmas card envelopes on Shutterfly do not come with strips. <laughs> okay, this is a tangent. Okay. So, sorry. I'm not opening them. anything you mail me with my hand. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so he pays someone for their spit. And he also said his fingerprints wouldn't be, or maybe he didn't say, there was a partial fingerprint on it. He said his handwriting wouldn't be on there because he disguised his handwriting. Because like, you're not going to find because they asked him to write something. He's like, well, my handwriting is not going to be on that letter because he disguised it, but whatever. Man's a psycho straightforward so months later as the heat is off of him because we're talking about how he's confessing here um and they had those other men in company custody he went out to the park and was near the cabin that joy was staying in he'd gone there because this is the spot at which he had seen bigfoot back in the day so he's like i'm gonna go find bigfoot again i'm gonna see him i'm gonna stay here and wait what in the world yeah and was he naked he was probably naked not naked i don't think he was naked so he's here, like, hanging out, throwing rocks in a creek or whatever, and notices her walking back and forth to her car, packing it up. And as he's watching her, he's like, hmm, she seems like she's alone. Hmm, let me go talk to her. So he approaches her, makes conversations with her about Bigfoot, like, have you seen him? Because I saw him here years ago, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, no, I haven't seen Bigfoot. She just keeps going back and forth, like, packing her car up. And at one of one point that she's making one of the trips, he comes up behind her with a gun mm. and bounce and gags her while she's inside and tells her, I'm only going to rob you. You know, do what I say. So he brings her outside and puts her in his car, starts driving along the road. And at some point, Joy dives out of the window. Yes. Of car. Yes. Freaking hero. Starts running away through the woods because she knows there's other cabins here. And if I can just get to one of them, I've got, you know, like I can get some help. He chases her and tackles her and drags her a bit further into the woods, slits her throat. She does not die. She's still fighting him with somewhat of, I don't know how deep it was, but whatever. She's still fighting him. So then he stops. He drags her a little bit further. He stops and he slits her throat again. And then she, that's the point at which she stops moving. He attempts to leave her there and then decides, hmm, I want to go back and completely sever her head. And I think there is a point at which he thinks about keeping her head, but doesn't. And ends up throwing it, tosses it into the creek like trash. Disgusting human being, guys. Disgusting. 
So he agrees at some point to recreate Joy's murder. And so the police, there's actually pictures in this book of the video that he goes out and recreates. So they go out to the cabin and he no goes No way. Mm-hmm. Telling them every Ew. bit. Why did they do that? Because you know that was probably like a thing for him. Yeah. To like go and revisit it and relive it. You know, these killers sometimes they like to go and relive yeah. their crimes. Ooh. Yeah, that's true. I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. Um, so he goes through it all and he tells them every little bit, including like where he discarded a piece of duct tape under a log as they were going and which they find under the log, where he threw the knife over a hillside, which they also found. So it ends up being like they find all the evidence that's linking him, essentially, and they retrace like every step gathering evidence all along the way. He also told them where they would find the pink blanket and where the knife that he had killed Julia was, all recovered exactly where he says. Wow. He also admits that he went back to the kill the girlfriend and her daughters after Joy. His but girlfriend? They were that girlfriend with the girl, <gasps> the two girls. But they were at their grandmother's at the time. Oh, so my God. Missed out on that opportunity. So this is twice that he has tried to kill them. Or gone to kill them, not tried. One daughter was on 2020, and to hear her talk about how she found out about all of this and how much, like, she, she's like, I loved him. Like, he was awesome to us. He was like a father figure, and I loved him. And this is what he was thinking the entire time he was with us. Like, wow, sickening. You don't know anybody. Mm-mm. And that's how he got away with it because he, they cleared him because he had no record and he was just a normal, yep, normal Joe walking around and everybody was like, yeah, he's fine. Like, yeah, he's a little quiet and weird, but he's fine. Like, he's never done anything. So anyway, so in February, yeah, in February of two thousand, Janet Reno approved the death penalty for this case. Janet Reno, okay, Janet Reno. I don't know why. (laughs) Hey, Janet. Hey. Hey. However, in December of 2000, he took a plea deal for Joy's murder and pled guilty to the murder and agreed to never speak of it again. Hmm. These were tried separately. I don't entirely know why. Well, one was a state case and one was not. I guess because it was on federal land, the Yosemite one. So maybe it was a federal crime. I don't know. I'm sorry. I did not research it that, but I know that they were separate. And I know that her family was okay with the plea deal. They wanted it because they were just like, it would be better for us not to have to go through this trial and hear all these details. So good. Okay. So they family got what they wanted. Yes. Not to talk about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Then fine. So he gets a plea deal. He apologizes to her family and her mother actually accepts the apology. She felt that he was actually heartfelt. No. Anyway. Mm -mm. But good. But you know what? You don't accept people's apology for them. No, it's for yourself. You forgive for yourself. That's right. Yeah. Because so mm-hmm. that you can move on and have closure and really live out your loved one's legacy. So good for her. Good. In June of 2001, the state trial against him for the murder of Carol, Julie, and Sylvina started, and he pled not guilty by reason of insanity. But they determined him sane, even though he had exhibited 20 different signs of mental illness. At least that's what well, I don't doubt that. Mm -hmm. He's clearly mentally ill. Yes. In August of 2002, he was found guilty, and on September 17th, after four hours of deliberation, they sentenced him to death, and he is still on death row to this day in San Quentin. He's still alive? He's in San Quentin with Scott Peterson. (gasps) Ew. Ugh. They deserve each other. Wow. He's still alive. He's like 60, right? He's way worse. 
Yeah, he's like 60. Oh, he's so young. 62. He's going to be alive for a while. Potentially. Yeah. California yeah, and they're don't so kill backed people. up with their death row. That yeah, that's what's the same. They don't edu- execute people. Not in California. So there you have it. Steven Stainer survives the seven-year kidnapping only to have his brother turn into a serial killer. I guess I'm kind of glad that he wasn't alive to see this happen. Yeah, oh, that's true. Not, I mean, not. I'm not, I'm not glad that this man died, guys. Don't take that the wrong way. No, no. Oh my gosh, thank goodness I'm taking another big gulp. <laughs> We're having a hard day. Well, all right. That was disturbing. I'm going to go take a shower. Wash it off. Wash. Wash it off. Like, let's go sit by the pool and... Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I don't know when we, I, I don't think we've even said this yet, but we're, I know we said we're doing lives, but basically next week, guys, there's not going to be another serial killer. We're Correct. going to do a live on Sunday night. At nine to, o'clock. At nine o'clock. Eastern Standard Eastern, Time. To Instagram discuss live. this case. This case. With you. Corey Stainer. Corey Stainer. So if you want to ask questions, I don't know that I'm going to have the answers. You want to talk about it. You want to like commiserate with us about what a crazy person this is. You whatever. I've got a couple of facts, little tidbits that I held out just to talk about during that. Mm -hmm. But we're going to have a live on Sunday and we will record it and release it as an episode. Right. We decided that on Monday. On Monday. So if you can't make the live We'll record it and we'll release it as like a bonus episode Monday morning in the place of a regular one. It's going to be really off the cuff. So like, yeah. you know, may not make sense. It's going to be late at night for me. Well, so. yeah. And also just some of you don't even use social media. So if you don't use social media and you don't get to see our lives just because you don't do that, then right. like you'll just get to see what it was or hear what it was like to have us with our lives. Yeah, exactly. It'll be fun. Come hang out with us on Sunday night. Nine o'clock. Let's talk about Corey Stainer and these sweet victims. Come find us on social media. Anyway, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, not so much. TikTok. That's a thing. Go find our merch. We've got a code. Um, Yeah, just come hang out with us. And so not next week, but the week after, I will be coming back with another serial killer who is really going to want, you're going to, you need to get your pants for that one too. Mm-hmm. It's just as disturbing. Christy knows who it is. Yikes. Yikes stripes. It's scary. And always remember the world is scary. People suck. They suck. Hide in your closet.